I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The first half of John chapter 10 is part of the story of John chapter 9. John chapter 9 opens with Jesus violating the man-made Sabbath day regulations by scooping up some dirt. That was a violation of the rules. That's considered work. Spitting on that dirt. That was a violation of the rules because that's considered watering. Making clay with that dirt. That's a violation of the rules. You weren't supposed to work with clay or knead anything or dough, anything like that. And then putting that clay on a blind man's eye. That was a violation of the rules. You shouldn't do that to the blind. And you certainly shouldn't get dirty on the Sabbath day. And then sending that blind man on a walk across town. It wasn't like around the corner. It was across town. That was a violation of the rules. And having him wash in the pool and then having him testify to the glorious healing that he received. This was infuriating to the religious authorities of their day. The end of chapter 9 reads as follows. Jesus finds a blind man, discovers they had removed the blind man's synagogue membership. They had cast him out. Verse 35 of John 9, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, that is the formerly blind man, and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now keep in mind, he knew Jesus had healed him, but he didn't know what Jesus looked like. He was blind. Jesus sent him on a long walk. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, 
and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Became a believer. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Every miracle of Jesus was an act of war. War on behalf of the hurting, the blinded, the distraught, the lost, on their behalf, but war against darkness in every form. Most of the darkness he dealt with was not demons. It was religious, man-made religion that was opposed to the purposes of God because they had business to do. May God help us to never be that way. We would be at odds with God. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. He made physically blind people able to see and he made spiritually blind people able to see but he made the people that thought they had it going on made them realize they were blind and if they didn't realize it he just left them blinded but blind in such a way that those who saw the light of who christ was no longer followed them because the blind don't want to follow the blind verse 40 then some of the pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him are we blind also They know he's talking about them. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. The sin that keeps us blind is pride. And they had religious pride. Then he continues, chapter 10, verse 1, same discourse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, within eyesight, just about anywhere in the Holy Land, in Israel, you can see shepherds and sheep. So he, maybe he was pointing to them. But he's drawn a parallel between he and his people and a shepherd and his sheep. And he says there's a door, there's a protocol, there's a way, and anybody that rejects it is a thief and a robber, basically. Verse 3, to him... That's to the shepherd. The doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, the towns in that day had community sheepfolds or community corrals or pens or like a community stockyard. They did it to protect them at night, and there would be a person appointed as a porter or as a doorkeeper who would guard the door of that sheepfold and only let in the real shepherds into that sheepfold. Thieves would try to come in other ways. The shepherds could go in there and get their sheep, and there was not a problem of distinguishing whose sheep was whose. A shepherd would just speak and call his sheep by name, and they would gather to him and leave with him, go out to green pastures. To this day in the Holy Land, shepherds would take their sheep to water the same time other shepherds take them. And there's no confusion. They don't get them mixed up. There's no sheep stealing. The shepherds call their sheep by name when it's time to leave, and the sheep follow him. I read a story about something that happened recently in Uganda. There was a wave of cattle rustling. The police were trying to sort things out in this particular day. There was an old woman there. She said, I want my cattle, and I can get them. How can you get them? Just let me in that corral where they are, where you have them. And she began to call her cattle by name. And one by one, they all gathered around her, and she was able to tell the authorities, These are mine, and they left following her. Jesus is a shepherd. 
And He knows us by name. And we are called to follow Him. When He brings out His own sheep, verse 4, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which He spoke to them. Then He said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now how can He be the shepherd and also the door? Well, in sheep farming, the sheep sometimes would be taken to graze miles from home. Because when sheep eat a pasture, they eat the, sh- the grass and the roots. In the Wild West, years ago, there was wars going on between sheep farmers and cattle farmers. Because the sheep would destroy the pasture land. The cattle would eat it down to a decent size length and go on to, to richer grass. Sheep, once they start eating, they don't stop till they get down. Goats are this way too, I believe. They get it down. And so as the season for sheep farming would continue throughout the year, they would have to get further and further from home to find green grass to feed them, right? So being miles from home eating, they don't have time to come back home to put them in the sheep fold at night. So they would build, and I'm sure generations had their own folds out there in the field and as well as maybe communities had folds out there, but they would build sheep folds or pens or corrals out of rocks and trees and branches and put briars across the top of them high enough to keep intruders out. But there would be an opening so the sheep go in and out. And at night, the shepherd would sleep in the doorway. So no sheep could get out and no enemy could come in. He would lay down his life for the sheep. So anything went wrong, he would wake up and deal with it. I'm sure he kept his weapon in his hand. Jesus is our shepherd, is our door. Anything that comes against us has to go through him. There's nothing we can pray about that he's like, oh no, did that happen? And you can't get away from him. you got to go through him. He's a whole lot bigger than you and I. You may think you're running from God, but He's got your phone number. Your heart's going to start ringing. You need to come back home. He goes after those that are His. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8, All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I mean, these are fighting words to the religious authorities that are listening to this. Maybe you've read this in the past thinking, you know, they're sitting on a meadow and Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. Maybe you've seen those paintings, you know, where he's just kind of walking around holding the little sheep. No, these are fighting words. All the other religious authorities are a bunch of thieves and robbers. I am the good shepherd. I mean, get get the picture. It's a context. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the way to the Father. There's no other way. There may be multiple ways to go to Rome, but that's not a parallel. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. He is the door. The thief, verse 10, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. 
Now, the Christian walk is a battle against darkness, which includes the devil, but it's not primarily the devil. Our primary primary battle is with the flesh. Us, the world. The devil is just part of that. Christianity is not this yin-yang thing. You know, we got to balance the good with the evil. You ever seen that in martial arts, the yin-yang symbol? That's not the biblical view of the world. The devil is not the opposite of God. God has no opposites. Right? What's the opposite of heat? What's the opposite of light? What's the opposite of God? He has none. He's superior. So the devil and demons may be part of your problem, but I tell you what, our ultimate problem is darkness. And many times darkness manifests itself in the form of religion. The biggest enemy to God's truth is man-made religion. And sometimes it has a Christian slant to it. Legalism. Wanting to improve on what God did. I grew up in a denomination that had standards. Standards of holiness. And all who disagreed with them were accused of preaching cheap grace. But I tell you, a worse problem than cheap grace is cheap holiness. His holiness is so far superior that I can ever approach to. Amen? We need to trust the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to generate in us the kind of life to live and not some man-made attachment to the Scriptures. It leads to ridiculous contortions. We don't want the thief operating in our lives. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but the hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. All right, the owner of the sheep would never do that. Maybe some, some hired hand would try to save his skin. But the owner of the sheep's got blood, sweat, and tears in his flock. He's going to do everything in his power to get the enemies of his flock from succeeding. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Mormonism teaches that when Jesus said that, he was talking about America. That the Native Americans were the other sheep that were not of this flock. And so when he ascended to go back to the Father, he made a detour and came over to this hemisphere and preached the gospel to the Indians. Well, he certainly didn't make disciples if that happened because there wasn't any to be found when the settlers came. I believe the other sheep that are of this fold were Gentiles, Samaritans. And he was already ministering to them, people that were not like them. And they were commissioned to take the gospel to the world, which includes the Americans. He functions through the church, doesn't circumvent it works through us. We are His body in the earth. Verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. 
This command I have received from my Father. Now, anti-Semitism is rooted in the belief that the Jews killed Jesus. In reality, if you want to view who killed him, was the Romans. They were the ones in the authority. They were the ones that could have spared him. They were the ones that killed him. But ultimately, nobody killed him. He laid his life down. They couldn't have succeeded one bit if he hadn't let them. Father, not my will, but thine be done. The battle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. I surrender to your will. He died for the sins of the world. So why do we want to persecute the children of Abraham for the death of Jesus? We'd all be going to hell if that hadn't happened. Hello? The Bible was written by Jews anyway. So why persecute these people? It's stupid. Hitler was an idiot. Right. Martin Luther had his moments. Verse 19. Therefore, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The healed blind man was probably sitting there. And if you'd been blind for life and someone healed you, would you just run off? You want to hang with him. He has a demon. Oh, but can a demon open the eyes of the That's got to have been infuriating to Christ's enemies. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us from your word in a way that changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Can we say that? We're on a journey through the Gospel of John proclaiming who Jesus is so that if any member of this congregation is approached by an unbeliever with a question, who is Jesus, you'll have something to say. In what ways is He the Good Shepherd? Can somebody just shout it out? In what ways is He the Good Shepherd? One way that he's a good shepherd is he is life-giving. Verse 9, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, a means in which to live. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't just give up his life. He gives life. Now, here's the benefit of believing that is it creates peace that passes understanding. Unshakable peace. Who needs some unshakable peace? When we become believers, there's a thing that's supposed to happen, and it has happened, but we catch up to it in our understanding as our minds are renewed, where we give Him our life, and He who gave up His life gives us new life. So that the life I live is no longer mine to live, but His life. The Christian life is lived by Christ through us. 
so that when things don't go our way, we don't have to get shook up. Things weren't going my way to begin with. I gave up my life. It's his life. Jesus, what you going to do about this? The thief will rob you of your peace if you continue to hang on your life, your agendas, your perfection, your works. Things will not go your way always. In fact, the, the more you grow in Christ, the less they're going to go your way and more his ways. That's the rest of the story. Oh, but when I got saved, I was told I was going to have abundant life and do whatever I wanted. Well, it's his life. His life is abundant life. It is so far superior to anything we could ever think of, dream of, or imagine. Just hold on. You're ready for, you're in for the ride of your life. Story's not over. Another reason he's a good shepherd is he is self-sacrificing. He not only gives us life, he gave up his life. And he continues to do that through people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for others. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. As his sheep, we are called to be living what? Living sacrifice. Alive. The dead. We are the ultimate zombies. <laughs> Number three, he is knowable. I am the good shepherd, verse 14, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is experiential knowing, not necessarily educational knowing. You may know that Columbus came to the Americas and landed on one of the Caribbean islands, that they find over which one it was, in 1492, but you don't know that experientially. But Christ, you can know him experientially. At the age of five, I sang a little song, Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus, come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I tasted His presence and it happened. It was a miracle because the church I was going to didn't even believe in that song, but they let little kids sing it because it was cute. When did you get to know him? It's one thing to know somebody, but not stay in close touch with them. Technology is a wonderful thing. Our children grew up and left us and took their babies with them. Uh, they, their babies weren't born here. It's another story. But we keep in touch through phones, texting, emails, and FaceTime. Wonderful. But before there was any of this technology, we've always had the ability to keep in touch with heaven through FaceTime on your faces, through email, <laughs> and, and prayer mail. Amen? He is knowable. And all of us are as close to Him as we want to be. Do you really want to be close to Him? I want to be close, close to your side. Where heaven is real and death is alive. We are as close to Him as we want to be. He's available to us. 
The sooner we recognize our life is not ours to have, release it from our grasp and give it to Him and run to Him daily. Lord, I need your help today. What are we going to do today? Here's the challenges I face. I know I want to be faithful where I'm at. We need some changes, Lord. I surrender to your will. There is tremendous power in surrendering to the will of God. Yvette and I met a lady two days ago that was healed of cancer by praying this prayer. Lord, let your will be done. That's it. She didn't have all the theology of faith and of healing and all the formulas worked out. She didn't know that. She was a, she was barely a believer. But accepting God's will is tremendous power in surrender. And then He'll give you faith to stand up and resist what, what you need to resist. But never resist Him. Amen. Alright, He is knowable. Number four, He is caring for other folds. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them I also must bring. And they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. If you're a Gentile, you're here because of this promise. You are one of the other sheep that was not of that fold in time and space. A different part of the world, a different race of people, at a different time in history. And we still have the same shepherd. Awesome. Number five, he's a good shepherd because he is not a bad shepherd. Now you may think, duh, but that statement, that statement relates to two things. The bad shepherds of his day that he was confronting at this point, as well as the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 34. Look at this. Ezekiel 34 verse 1 begins, And the word of the Lord came to me saying... Verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against. We say against. Against the shepherds of Israel and prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Verse 4, The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. And we still have these kind of shepherds in our day. You ever watch Christian TV during a telephone? They pray not on the people that are blessed, but on the people that are having problems. I never heard him say, hey, if you're blessed, share some of it with us. We, we don't want to go off the air. Send us some of that blessing this way. No. Oh, you have a problem? You got a wayward child? You got a sickness? You got to sow a seed. The angels are getting their assignments. I actually heard this. The angels are getting their assignments for the next 12 months. You better get your seed in quick before they leave heaven to go fulfill those assignments. Shepherds praying on the sheep. Not good. Not good. Here's the promise. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Who is that? It's Jesus. He's going to come Himself. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. You remember one of the Gospels wrote of a day where Jesus was moved with compassion because the people were scattered like sheep. He is the good shepherd, isn't he? 
Verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. Where was the Sermon on the Mountain delivered? The mountain. Not a high mountain compared to Everest, but in Israel it was a high mountain. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I love it. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. He gives rest. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. That is happening right here in John 10, 1 through 21. As for you, O my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Jesus talks about a judgment day coming when there will be a division between the sheep and the goats, and the goats are the people that didn't care for others. Verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. That is Jesus. He was a descendant of David. He was called the son of David. He's the fulfillment of all the promises made to David about his lineage. Person of Jesus. David was not a perfect man. He was a man after God's own heart. Jesus was a perfect man. He was God's heart. Verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Lord, we thank you for the fulfillment of this promise in each of our lives. Can we say it together? Jesus is the good shepherd. Is he yours? Now, shepherds lead their sheep, and the sheep follow their shepherds. So sheep go where the shepherd goes, right? He's first. He went to the cross. We go through the cross to our own cross. We are called to be like Him. Not only are we sheep, but we're shepherds in the making. Oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a member of the fivefold ministry. Well, fivefold is not in the Bible. The Bible talks about onefold. Right? If you believe in fivefold, let's just expand our thinking to sevenfold. Seven is God's number. Gifts are given to men. Ephesians 4, Jesus is the giver of gifts. So it all starts with him. There's firstfold. Then apostles, then prophets, then pastors, evangelists, and teachers. There's six. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There's seven, the ministry of the saints. Jesus, through what's typically called the fivefold, to the saints. What does the apostle equip people to do? Be apostolic. What does the prophet equip people to do? Be prophetic. What does the pastor equip people to do? Be pastoral. What does the teacher equip people to do? To be able to teach others. What does an evangelist equip people to do? To be evangelistic. Yeah. We are all on path to being pastors, being shepherds. Where you are, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. You are a pastor. If you drive a school bus, you're pastoring little ones all the way to school. You may feel like you're a pesterer. Sit down, sit down. But you're getting them there saved. All right, let's apply this to ourselves. Application. Am I life-giving? When I enter a room, does negativity fill it? 
Does the energy drain out of the room or do I bring something with me that imparts life? Am I angry about the political scene or the cultural shift? Forget the White House. What about the house across the street? Hello? Forget the governor's mansion. What about the person across the hallway? They need some love. Are we bringing life, love, encouragement? There's opportunities to pray for others all around us. Just ask them, hey, can I pray with you about that? Yeah, but not right now. Okay, that's fine. Pray for them and expect God to move and ask how they're doing later. They'll be touched that you care. Are you self-sacrificing or self-serving? Everywhere you go, are you in it for you? You know, if you skin sheet, they can't give any more wool. Number three, are we knowable or do we keep walls up? Do we hide behind our religious bumper sticker? Are we knowable? Are we real? Number four, am I caring for other folks? This town needs a multicultural church. I mean, I, I believe they all need to be multicultural, but this town really needs a good, strong multicultural church. Why not be us? Why not? Why not? So as God sends people to us from other cultures, let's get to know them. We're going to have to shift. Some of the jokes maybe you like, you have to stop telling. Some of your language, you got to change. Got to have a heart-to-heart. Make some changes. Oh, are you going to have a sensitivity training seminar here? No. Sometimes the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. The church should take note. Take note. All right, number five. Are you and I bad shepherds? Are we bad shepherds? This guy is. On a steep mountain in New Zealand. A sheep, they're not the smartest creatures, tried to go through a fence and was trapped. So the bad shepherd is on his way to get him set free. Oops. All right. Here's a word to all the shepherds in the house. Keep in mind when you help people, sometimes new problems, new problems come into play. We got to be willing to go the distance. Years ago, our church helped a lady get her car repaired only to have her wind up in jail a week later because she was committing a crime with that car. Sometimes you help people and things get worse. Don't throw up your hands and wash your hands up. Well, I did my part. You're on your own now. No. There's, our job's not done. Sin is a big problem and it causes a lot of mess. So we help people to walk out of it into freedom one step at a time. Look at your own walk. Wasn't it like two steps forward, three steps back sometimes? Why expect more of others than God expects of us? Lord, make us merciful. (laughs) 
Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here that does not know you as their shepherd. I pray that they would begin to believe that you love them, that you gave your life for them, and you have new life to give them. They'll but call on your name and ask you. It's theirs to have. And Lord, I pray for those of us that know you as our shepherd, but we've not been following you closely, Lord. We've been one of those your spirit has to hound sometimes. Lord, help us to see that our life is not ours. It's yours. You're the leader. You're the Lord. May we follow you. And Lord, help us all to see that we are called to be shepherds everywhere we go to bring life to scattered sheep, to bring love even to those that might look like goats. But Lord, everybody needs to taste your love. Help us, Lord, to bring life and hope and peace and represent all that you are to us, to others. Make us good shepherds too, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We are excited to announce Generations Church now has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. 
This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So, we want you to join us at 9 or 10.30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 1030. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377. Get over the hump day. Wednesday nights are alive around here. All people of all ages are invited to join us each Wednesday for some encouraging fellowship and good Bible teaching. All students, sixth grade and up, are invited to come at 6.30 p.m. for GenRev. Every child, fifth grade and under, is invited to our Kids Club at 6.45 p.m. All women are also invited to our Treasure Within Bible Study at 7 p.m. And every man is welcome to join the James Gang Bible Study, which also begins at 7. We look forward to seeing you this Wednesday. And those are just a couple of the many great things happening at Generations. To get more information about everything going on, check out our weekly Lord's Day Bulletin. Visit generationspeople.org and .mobi. And like our Facebook page. We'll see you next time.